Let's begin. We got a smaller crowd. I don't know. Everybody came for Scientology. Scientology was a lot of fun. That was, a, that was like comedy hour. Last week was just sad. People denying the Trinity. And this week, we're going to have to get a little bit more exegetical, at least in our... We're going to have to sharpen the, the sword of the Spirit a bit. This group's a little more challenging to, to deal with. All of these are somewhat challenging, but this one, they're skilled in debate, and they sound so similar to Christianity that it's a little bit more of a challenge. So we need to know our Bibles well. We need to know theology well. And really, we need to know the Christian's role as it pertains to the Mosaic Law. And that's a, already a difficult topic. We've tried to address that here in a few different ways in Bible study and sermons and such. But if you're not clear on that, this group can really have some, some draw, some pool. Especially if, if you're one who likes to get into the details of things. And a few Hebrew letters on the screen just kind of make you, oh, you feel good. You feel like this, this is awesome. This is deep. This is the kind of Christian this group is going for. So let me pray, hopefully some fun this morning, although it's, it's kind of sad what we're learning here. Hopefully it's interesting enough to help you prepare to talk to people who are in these cults. Lord, we thank you this morning for the word. It is clear to us if we understand from beginning to end of the Bible, there's clarity, there's power, there's truth. And we just need to believe what the Lord Jesus taught in regards to these issues. Help us to understand he is the pinnacle of all things. He's the Savior. He's the Creator. He's our Lord. And that's why we're learning this morning how to deal with these cults, so that we might honor Him and evangelizing, and then we might stay away from such teachings. Give us the kind of boldness we need, and give us a desire for the truth, a zeal, a passion for Your Word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, who knows somebody in Hebrew Roots? Got one person? I, I know there was more hands when I asked this question a while back. So it is a growing movement. Just since we planted this church, I think it's probably grown 10 times in seven years what it was when we started. And I remember looking into it when we first started here because I met some people who had visited our church that were Hebrew Roots. And even since we've been in this building, I know there's been some visitors because they tell me where they're coming from. And now that I know more about it, I realize they're coming from a Hebrew Roots congregation. Who's heard of it before? Before this class? Okay. So other names for it, Torahism, Torah observant Christianity, and then the sacred name movement, which is really a slightly different branch. It is more from the Seventh-day Adventists and not New Roots, New Age. So it's Seventh-day Adventists who mixed some New Age and then they went to what's called the sacred name movement. And the sacred name will refuse to say God's name at all. But the Hebrew roots will typically speak of Yehovah or Yahweh, which is the correct covenant name of God. But some will, will not even say Yahweh, they'll say Yehovah. And this is a movement. The others are cults started by cult leaders. This is a movement started by, let's just say, errant Christians. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt right now. Errant Christians who wanted to go deeper into the roots of Christianity. And so imagine a bunch of people wake up one morning and have an idea that they're going to mix some Old Testament with the New Testament as far as practice, beliefs, on salvation, and especially on laws, commands. And so everybody gets together over time, and they've been organizing this better and better, 
and, and defending it. They think better and better. I don't think it's a good defense. And so this has grown up. This is a, a grassroots movement. There was no one leader who started it. Nobody had visions one day and wrote a book on it like these other cults. But it is cult, I think. I'll let you decide. We're going to look at that in a moment. Here's an image of one of their, they have all these videos now on one of the websites. And so this kind of shows you why it's called Hebrew Roots. They think and believe that Christianity has roots in the Jewish faith. Now, yeah, that's mostly true, right? We know that the early church was Jewish. We know that the Old Testament is the foundation for the New Testament. But what they would say is Judaism, I would call it Judaism, what developed after the New Testament was written, is really something we should do and practice today. And even more specific, the Mosaic Law should be kept strictly today by Gentiles that say they're, they say they're Christian. So that, that graphic there just shows you that, yeah, we have the, the Christian church today, but below that is this deep root going back into the Hebrew culture and the Old Testament. And theologically, that's true, but we know the New Testament has a lot to say about the law and about putting aside things in the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant as a whole is gone. So a few points here and then a long quote. It's not Messianic Judaism. Christian Jews, Jews who are in the culture of Judaism, who convert to Christianity, and they still want some of that cultural feel in their services and their congregation. That's different. And even Messianic Jews, can some can tend to be more legalistic than others. But in, in general, Messianic Judaism is Jewish people who get converted, who still have that flavor of Jewishness in their culture. This is Gentile Christians who obey the law of Moses. These are not Jews. So on their website, they'll call themselves rabbis, the, the teachers will, but it'd be like Rabbi Roy Garcia, Rabbi, I'm being serious, Juan Rodriguez, and those are in San Antonio, and they're, they're rabbis, which is supposed to be a Jewish label, but their last name is not Jewish. These are Gentiles recovering, they think, the original Jewishness of Christianity. Who remembers other cults that we've talked about where they want to go back, right? All church history is bad, Wipe it out and go back to what the apostles believed. Any other cults like that? A lot. Some we haven't even covered yet, right? Jehovah's Witnesses. All the ones that started in the 1800s. Mormonism. Even the, the Church of Christ denomination. Let's look at what Hebrew Roots Mom. There's all these websites out there. It's a website, grassroots movement. That's what she calls it here. She says, it's not just one way to practice Hebrew Roots Christianity. We'll see their differences. It's a type of grassroots movement to follow Jesus and practice our Christian faith by returning to the Jewish roots of that faith, incorporating Jewish customs, learning the Hebrew language, increases our understanding of biblical Jewish culture, which is so very different from our own. When reading scripture written by mostly Jewish people about primarily Jewish people, including our Jewish Messiah, a lack of understanding of Jewish language and culture can create confusion. Many are drawn to the movement because it brings clarity to their biblical studies, leading to an increase in knowledge of our God and our Messiah. So there's a lot here, but basically she's saying, look, we can't understand the New Testament unless we learn Hebrew and learn the culture. And while cultural background is important, it's one of the many things that we, we need to understand Scripture. We don't have to speak Hebrew to understand our English Bibles, do we? But see, that's the, the draw for maybe more serious-minded Christians. 
why don't you just come and have a Bible study, and we're going to go through the, the seven feasts of the Old Testament. And why don't you come and learn Hebrew, learn modern Hebrew, and you can read maybe the Old Testament, even though it's not modern Hebrew. Come and, come and learn how we can turn these Hebrew letters into the symbols that they represent, and that spells some secret code. There's all of these different draws that it's just a deeper Bible study. And, and people can get easily fascinated. Wow, this is amazing. I mean, this guy, he knows his Hebrew so well. He's got a Jewish hat on. He, he's, he knows all these things. And I've never heard this stuff before. Well, that could be because you're not as studied in the scriptures yet. But it could be you've never heard it because it's not true. And you shouldn't be hearing it. Or if you are hearing it, you need to reject it. It's not a monolithic movement. Everybody understand monolithic? Monolithic is, it comes from one stone, right? Lithos stone. Monolithic means it's all the same, right? Christian science is a monolithic movement. Jehovah's Witness is a monolithic movement. This is grassroots, so you have all these different views. Here's four various categories. Number one, they believe Jesus, the Christians, should obey the Mosaic law. Should. It's a good idea. This is a sanctification issue. Number two, say you must obey. You must obey to be saved. Another group says Paul was wrong because he said we're not under the law. So throw him out. And some, these are, these are harder to find where they admit this. Some will even reject Jesus himself because he had some things to say about the new covenant versus the old covenant. So the question then comes up, is it a cult? Here's Walter Martin. You should pick up this resource in our bookstore. His definition is a little too vague, I think, for our purposes. But he says a cult, as I define it, is a religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to belief or practice from those religious groups which are regarded as the normative expression of religion in our total culture. So he's just saying there's a normal religious experience for different beliefs, and anybody who veers off from that's a cult. I think that's a little too vague. It needs to be more specific, especially when we're talking about Christian cults. And so I like what Nathan Busnitz says. He's, he's written this a few times. I know in regards to Seventh-day Adventists, he talks about this, but also I remember taking him for historical theology, and he covers this. He says the New Testament articulates three fundamental doctrinal criteria by which false teachers or false religions can be identified. Wrong view of salvation, or wrong view of Scripture, or wrong view of the Savior. So when people say, we're not a cult, just run them through this grid, or at least in your own mind, think through this. Three questions. Do they have the right view of salvation? Do they understand the gospel? Are they adding works? Most cults will add works of some kind to their gospel, to their belief of how you are saved. A wrong view of Scripture. This doesn't mean somebody who's just mistaken on an interpretation. They're twisting Scripture out of context completely. And we're going to see that's major issues there with the Hebrew roots people, twisting it out of context. They've also not seen Scripture as authoritative. So a cult will say, we have these other books that are just are more authoritative than the Bible. And then a cult will say that Jesus is not God or there is no Trinity. That's not so much an issue with Hebrew roots. I think, and you'll have to decide for yourself, but I think one and two are big issues. Especially two, that's without a doubt. They twist Scripture. I think they're adding works to the gospel. And I think they're, they're willing to say that in most cases. So cults will typically have a heresy on salvation. But I think this broadens it a little bit more. So, and there's different types of heresy. Heresy just means a factious, divisive, something that's divided away from the truth. There's damnable heresies. 
which Peter talks about in Second Peter, and those will lead you to hell. And then there's just what we would call error, false teaching, things that aren't necessarily going to send you to hell. They're not core essentials of the gospel. And so within this group, especially that we're talking about today, there are different variations. Some, some are just in error because they've emphasized too much of the Jewish culture. Others have added works to salvation. So when you add works, that's a heresy in the truest sense of the term, which is a different gospel. So traditionally the word, or in Greek, the word heresy just means a faction away from the truth or the, the normal standard. We use it today as anybody who's messed up their view of God or salvation. But I think sometimes we overlook scripture. You, you can twist scripture and that's heretical too. If you twist it enough, right, you're going you're gonna to go to hell because you've lost the gospel. People use these terms to heresy and stuff in various ways. Something we should keep in mind though, as I said, is there's the, the true believer who makes a mistake in understanding scripture or they don't use proper exegesis, okay? They might be in a great church. They just not, they're not trained yet. Then there's the person who goes around teaching something wrong in the Bible. They may or may not know that it's wrong, but it is wrong. And it's, it's a considerable error, but not necessarily going to lead somebody to hell. We see that a lot, I think, with the spiritual gifts. We see that with various views that people come up with. And then there's the, the type of false teaching that messes with the gospel, God, Christ, so on. Okay, I've already gone through this. Sorry, duplicate. All right, here's answers in Genesis. They said, I had a long article and they got a lot of hate mail. The, the Hebrew Roots people are really active online and they throw a lot of hate mail. Gotquestions.org even has this page and they title it Haters. And they have articles on different people that have thrown a lot of hate mail at them for their articles. And one of those is the Hebrew Roots. Here's the dangers. This is the abstract of the article here. It's Dr. Tim Chaffee. The Hebrew Roots movement has influenced hundreds of thousands of Christians in recent decades. And many more have encountered arguments from those in that group. The movement places a strong emphasis on Hebrew traditions and the law of Moses. This article will describe the nature of the Hebrew Roots movement, examine some of its major beliefs in light of relevant biblical passages, and challenge those who have been influenced by its teachings. So that's a good article if you want to look it up. Here's one line I think that's important. I highlighted there in green. The modern Hebrew Roots movement, HRM, has been influenced in some ways by Seventh-day Adventism and the Worldwide Church of God during the lifetime of its founder, Herbert W. Armstrong. So there's different influences that have kind of given rise to this movement. It wasn't as if people really were just sitting around and thought, oh, I'm going to make up something. They're being influenced, and it it comes to a head here in the Hebrew Roots movement. This is our area. According to the most popular website for this movement, which is 119 Ministries, 119 Ministries is kind of the coordinated general website for the movement. Like I said, it's various subgroups of the movement. No one's going to say it's a denomination. But if somebody was looking for a Hebrew Roots Fellowship, which are all the dots here, they would go to this site and look for their area. So there's San Antonio. And I checked out this site five or six years ago, and there might have been three or four dots in our area. It's just solid everywhere. Because these are often these are at homes. Now, the red ones, I think, are congregations. So there's one up in Bernie. I'll show you their website. I did not know there was one in Bernie. It's, it's a bit newer. And there's a large one in San Antonio or larger. But look at how many people have their information there so that you could go and, and meet with them and have a, a congregation or a fellowship started. There's the South. I didn't get the whole U.S. But I mean, these are all over the world now. I guess hot West, people don't like it, huh? 
No, there's just less people out west. So look at how this has grown. I mean, this is huge. And who's, who's our main target, do you think? Christians. People who've grown up in the church, Bible-believing Christians. Maybe Christians who are kind of fed up with some of their denominational issues and hierarchies and so on. That's their big sell. In fact, all their apologetics is geared to how do you answer the traditional Christians' thinking and views on these passages. So they rent a space, I think, from a maybe charismatic church. I'll show you in the, on the map here. I don't know who owns the building. I think it's a charismatic church because they're husband and wife pastors. But it could be just prosperity gospel of some kind. Welcome to Revive House of Messiah, a church community built on biblical truth. So they typically won't say Hebrew roots, just like a lot of places you have to read what they believe. And even then, the, this movement, it's really hard to see that. There's a few key phrases you might see. So here, it's right up on Frey Street, right off of Old San Antonio Road. So I think it's five minutes from here. There, there we are at the bottom, and then right up there towards Burning. Here's, here's something on their website. We believe God desires to dwell tabernacle with us and has set aside days and times as holy. We keep the seventh day, Sabbath, and they have their, their verses there, and the feasts of the Lord, and believe that the plan of God is revealed by these holy days. The holy days show us what God has done and is doing and will do for his people. So if you just read kind of their short doctrinal statement, that's, that's the only thing that really stood out to me. Why do we need these holy days under the new covenant to teach us what God is doing and will do? Certainly teaches us what God has done. That was in the Old Testament. But it's more of the, the present and the future here that's a concern. Here's the larger one down in San Antonio, Baruch Hashem. And I, I do believe we've had people visit here from them. Baruch Hashem. These, these are not folks, by the way, they're not going to wear the full Jewish attire. They may have tassels. They may just have a regular t-shirt on, even in, pre- in preaching. And then they'll have maybe some tassels, but maybe not. The dress code is not as big a deal as the other commands in the Torah. This is Baruch Hashem. They're the ones who helped plant the one here in Bernie. Here's one of their associate rabbis. The shofar there, I'm not sure what they're doing. There's the menorah, cross menorah kind of symbol they have going there. Here they are, like, like the Jews, you bring in the, the Torah, the Torah, and it's a huge scroll, and it's wrapped in all these nice cloths. And in the synagogue, you take it in, and, and people are you know honoring it and, and almost reverential over it. Well, that's what they're doing here. They've got the head covering the Jewish shawls, and then they're coming in with the Torah. I think that's an older building. I think the one with the rock up there is their newer building. So let's talk about what they believe. Here, here's what 119 Ministries has as their core values. Again, different groups will believe differently. I think 119 tries to be a pretty broad and grabbing everybody. Now, there are some that are, that are more specific. The thing about this group, you'll find if you, if you were to go to this site, is a lot of what they believe is found in these videos. They want you to watch the 7-minute, 20-minute, 30-minute videos. And they won't be so clear on the core value statement. It says, we believe the whole unchanging word of God is for all in the faith and applicable today. So that's real big. The Old Testament is unchanging, meaning it's not to be done away with because it's the word of God. And not just like, we, we believe it's not to be done away with, right? We're not like, who's the guy in Georgia? Andy Stanley, right? We're not, we're not saying you do away with it, but the covenant and the, and the law itself 
is different for the Christian because we're under the new covenant, under the law of Christ. But their, their big argument, it's more of a logical argument, is, hey, this is the word of God, and why would it change? Why would it change? So whatever Jesus and Paul are saying must be completely in conjunction with what Moses said. We'll cover that in a moment. We believe that we are to teach all nations to obey the Torah, the law of God. This really is their evangelism. They want to get people into the Torah. They will say Yeshua. There, there's a guy. I won't, I'll show you part of a video in a minute if it works for me. Later on in the video, which we won't watch all of it, a guy says, when I was in the movement and he interviews one of their pastors, he says, we went out on the street and we would say Yeshua just to get people's attention. Jesus, right? And once they were listening, we want them to come in and we want to get them under the Torah. That's our goal. That's our tool. We're going to reach people with the Torah. We believe our Messiah, many will call Yeshua, some might use the the English Jesus, taught the Torah and obeyed it perfectly. Is that true? Did Jesus teach the law of God and obey it perfectly? Yes, he did. We know he obeyed it perfectly, right? How much he taught to his disciples versus the new teaching, we, we won't go there now. We've done that before, and we'll come back around to it eventually, but we don't have time for that huge topic today. We believe that our Messiah died for our sins on the cross. Amen. For more about what we believe, see this short video. There's a lot of short videos. And once you get into the videos, they have a certain method that they will use to get you to question what you believe. Here's what it boils down to. The teaching on the Mosaic Law and Christians. Christ's death on the cross did not end the Mosaic Covenant, they would say, but instead it renewed it expanded its message, and wrote it on the hearts of his true follower. They failed to understand that Jesus fulfilled the law. So while we won't go into it in detail, I do want to read these real quick before we go further. Because Christians, unfortunately, are are confused about the law. Sometimes in Reformed theology, it's been sectioned up into three parts. Let's set that question aside for a moment and just look at these verses. I think it's better to say that the old covenant has been replaced with the new covenant, right? That's what Hebrews says. And along with that, the old law replaced with the new law of Christ. Very similar. The moral commands are similar, almost exact, except for the Sabbath of the Ten Commandments. But the Sabbath day is a huge day for them. Romans 10, 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Galatians three twenty three. this is huge because what's the problem in Galatia? Who knows the context? Galatia. What's the problem? All these churches? Judaizers, right? What are they saying? To be a real Christian, to be a true Christian, you've got to go back under the law, the law of Moses. You've got to get circumcised. That's the first thing you do under the law of Moses. And you also have to do all these other things. And Paul says some very strong language to them. He says in the beginning of Galatians, that's another gospel, by the way. But in 3.23 through 25, but before faith came, we were held in custody under the law. That's the Mosaic law being shut up for the coming faith to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor unto Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So the law of Moses. We're not talking about generally the law of God. No, nobody's not under the law of God. Right? We're talking about the specific commands given to Israel through Moses. Paul says, why aren't you so fascinated with that? That, that was a tutor. That was the, the, the tutor who, you know, swatted us on the behind to get us to class on time, to get us to school. But when you're grown up, 
hopefully, now today's different in our culture, but you shouldn't need somebody to get behind you and swatch you on the behind to get places, right? Surely adults don't need that today, right? We're supposed to not need a tutor. And that's the analogy here. The tutor pointed us to Christ. It got us to Christ. But now the faith has come. The gospel, Christ has died on the cross. We're not under the tutor anymore. Ephesians 2.15 also speaks to this. Here it's more addressing the enmity. The problem between Jew and Gentile was that the, the commands, God intended this, by the way, that they would be separated from the nations because of the law, because of how they lived. They were to live wholly unto the Lord. That's why he gave the law. And Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. So Christ came, he abolished the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might create the two into one new man, making peace. I don't think here he's saying he came to do completely away with the law and that we'll never read it again. We shouldn't read the old covenant. No, there was this enmity and it was caused by the law because the law separated the Jewish people from the Gentiles. But now that Christ has come, Jew and Gentile are both in Christ. They can worship together and they should. And the same congregation, they're in Christ. And so that enmity has been torn down by Christ. So let's talk about some of their distinctives on what they believe. Because this is a class about bad theology. There's not as much history to cover because guess what? This is a, a pretty new movement. I didn't get an exact date on when they started, but it's, this is in the last 10, 15, 20 years at most. Worship on Saturday, the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Big deal. Focus on teaching the Torah. Not the Old Testament. They're not as concerned about the prophets. They're not as concerned about the historical books. The law of Moses. So a huge focus on Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Exodus, some in Numbers, but mostly Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Eat only kosher foods. Okay, What are kosher foods? Those are foods that are clean. And clean foods in the Old Testament, right? No catfish, no pork. What else? Can't have meat and dairy. They all go back to the clean food lists in the Old Testament. Dress code. Some will follow this. The big ones are the Sabbath and the feast days, the focus on teaching the Torah and obeying the commandments of Moses, and then circumcision is required for the Gentile Christian. Now again, you can go to their sites and you won't find this on the list, but you watch their videos and 119 Ministries has two videos on this subject. And they won't come out and say, if you don't get the circumcision, well, I haven't watched all their videos, so I shouldn't say that. They might come out and say it. They will say, it was given in the Old Covenant. Why would it pass away? It was given once. Does God change? Those are the kinds of questions that, that are thrown out. There is one guy in the, in the expose documentary that we won't get to later in that video where he says, you must be circumcised or you're not saved. Again, you'll find various views on this. But this, if they're following the Torah, what does the Torah say about circumcision? You need to be circumcised. Even the Gentiles who came in into the Old Covenant were circumcised. Here's 119 Ministries video on the foods. Now, Mark 7:19, Jesus says, right, in parentheses, therefore he declared all foods clean. Because he was talking about the washing. And he says, not what, but not what goes into the body, right? It's what comes out of the heart. And they say, they're trying to explain how this is not interpreted correctly by Christians. The all foods here is referring to all the clean foods in the Torah. So when he declared all foods clean, he's saying all the clean foods in the Torah are clean. This is literally what the guy says. 
And then he says some other things. And then he says, if Yeshua stated this, because those works in Mark 7.19, those words, sorry, are not found in the oldest manuscript. So it's even a question in their mind if Jesus said he declared all foods clean. And then here's what they say. It's not found in the oldest manuscripts. You will find a footnote related to that statement in most of the Bibles quoting it. It is quite possible and likely those words were added by the translators that were making their own determination on what Yeshua was talking about. So go to Mark 17. Most of the Bibles quoting it have a footnote. Mark 7:19. Raise your hand if your Bible has a footnote. Of course, I've got the version that doesn't have footnotes. So that's just a, a translation smoothing out. Anybody got a footnote that says early manuscripts do not contain this? ESV does. It's in parentheses, but that's English editors saying that it's probably not Jesus who said it, but maybe Mark who, who, who summarized it. Still inspired, but that's another thing they will say, though. Because it's in parentheses, that tells us that there's some doubt whether that should be there. That's not what, what the notations in our English Bibles, what, what tells you if it's not there? What kind of editing tells us maybe this? Brackets, brackets, right? Brackets are squared off. Parentheses are a parenthetical thought. So you'll see parentheses all over the New Testament. Paul will be teaching and then he'll say something that sounds like it's kind of parenthetical, right? He's in the middle of a thought. He says something sort of over here and then he comes back to it. But there is no textual issue here. The only textual issue is the word for cleansing of the food, clean. Is it a verb or a noun? That's it. Either made all foods clean or cleansed all foods. That's it. So it's just a matter of the ending of a Greek word, making it a verb or a noun. What this guy's saying is that whole phrase there, where Jesus or Mark summarizing, he declared all foods clean, is probably not in the original. Now, whether Jesus said it or not, I don't think we should be dogmatic. It could be Mark summarizing what Jesus said. It sounds like that, right? Thus he declared all foods clean. But thus he, is, is especially the thus, is inserted there to smooth it out for us. Either it was Jesus or Mark. Either way, inspired word of God. No textual issues. So again, if you're not maybe studied up on textual criticism, which is a very in-depth topic, and there's only like one guy in the room who gets really nerdy about that, I won't point any directions, but this is easy to, it sounds like a good argument. Maybe that verse isn't there. It is. And all the manuscripts we have. Let's talk about another major distinctive. These are required if you're in the Hebrew roots movement. These aren't learning experiences. It's not like your kids, I'll send them down in Sunday school and kind of go through what these feasts were about. This is a full-on observance. And they say, look, Leviticus 23 says we are to observe these. So let's look at Leviticus 23, 1 and 2, because this is where the, the feasts are summarized, most of them. And they say here, And Yahweh spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, say to them, the appointed times of Yahweh, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. And then he goes through them. The Sabbath being an every week, every week celebration. And then after that, the Passover and so on. So there's the Passover and unleavened bread, two feasts, but they're right next to each other in the calendar. The Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles. And then, surprisingly, they throw in Hanukkah. Is Hanukkah in the Bible? It's not. When did the events that Jews celebrate for Hanukkah supposedly happen? First and second Maccabees, which is after the Old Testament is done. But they, they say Jesus went into the temple maybe around that time and 
I, don't, I forget exactly how they argue it, but that is one of the recognized feast days, Hanukkah. And here's where the legalism comes in. Not just do they celebrate it and require Hebrew roots people and say all Christians should, but no other holidays. Now, look, we know Mother's Day, Father's Day, even, even our Christmas celebration is not a holy day because it's not in Scripture, right? Scripture doesn't require that. It doesn't require any holy days for Christians. It requires the Lord's Day worship and gathering, right? So if you want to say that's a holy day, fine. But there's no holy days. We call them holidays in English and in our country, but we really just mean a day off, a celebration day with our family, and so on. However, if you do that, you're sinning. And this is actually a, a big argument. I don't think I have a slide on this. They've redefined sin. So sin, according to them, is when God gave these laws to Moses. If you don't do them, you're in sin. So nobody else later in the Bible can change that. If you don't do these and you do others, or you do some of these and do others, or all of these, but you still celebrate other days, that is sin. Let's talk about how they, they come and talk to Christians. Seek to do apologetics. Now, I, I probably should preface that. I think some are Christians. They're just, they've gotten confused. They're on that kind of that first level of, I just want to study the Bible and learn the Hebrew culture and understand the Jewish roots. I think you're going to see that some are clearly not Christian because they've added to the gospel. So they seek to do apologetics. They actually say it's apologetics with Christians traditional Christians, they would call it, by asking questions. And in a documentary they made called The Way, The Truth and the Life, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, they're quoting Mark Twain here, it's time to pause and reflect. Well, that kind of thinking, actually, it's kind of popular. You know, there's, there's a lot of conspiracy stuff always floating around, movies, all these things happening in our environment. And, you know, don't trust the government, which sometimes is good advice. Many times is good advice. So this is, we're, we're primed for this as a culture and as Christians. And this idea that someone's hidden something from us, it can really bother people. And so here's the documentary cover here. The way, the truth and the life. I thought that was Jesus, but they're talking about the Hebrew roots way. Leaving churchianity to live like the Savior. So this is kind of their, their I wouldn't say motto, but it's, it's their main focus. Jesus lived under the Torah. He said, live like him. We should live under the Torah. And so there's the, the documentary. The guy later wrote a book. I'll show you in a moment. A little clip where they promoted the book. So here's from one of their videos. Tons of videos on 119, 119 Ministries. Psalm 119, 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. So they're saying, look, the hope is in God's commands. I think our translation says commands. That's better. Or statutes ordinances. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. So God's law is true. That's their premise. And when did truth stop being truth? So their main apologetic technique is to ask questions. There was, a, there was an evangelical who asked a lot of questions a while back. He wrote a book about hell asking a lot of questions. Y'all remember that? Do people really suffer eternally? They're going to ask a lot of questions. They want to get you thinking about this but it's almost always in the form of questions to make you rethink what you believe. Can something that God declared to be truth for his people become not truth later? You got your mind around that one? If absolute truth can become something no longer truth, was it really truth and was it really absolute? Right? Progressive revelation. 
It's true in that it was given to God's people, Israel at the time. It's true in that God said it, right? So to say that God later brought the fullness of his plan and revelation into being doesn't mean that wasn't true, right? What was, did, did David exist? Of course, that's true. Does that mean we should go out and look for David right now? Right? He existed in history. Did Mosaic law exist for the nation of Israel in history? Yeah. Was that God's word? Yes. But so God's word says a lot about demons, says things about Satan. It's a truth to be believed, not necessarily something that every line is to be obeyed, right? Go out and hang yourself, right? Judas went out and hung himself. Is that, is that a command to anybody? No, it's a historical fact, right? There are a lot of things in the Bible like that. Historical facts. This is the way things are. God created the heavens and the earth in six days. Are we going to do that? That's true, right? What do we do with that? We believe it. And that's, that's it. We don't, we don't go and try to create anything ourselves in six days. This video goes through a lot of things like this, but a lot of questions. The documentary called The Way, a lot of questions. The second book the guy wrote, a lot of questions. So here's the main, Kathy, you ask about the verse. This is it. 1 John 2, 6. Here's the question. Again, questions. Are you going to walk as Jesus walked or walk as others tell you to walk? So that's the big question. Let's look at 1 John 2, 6. This is the go-to verse. So what kind of started as let's get back to our roots is now becoming, you, you, must, you must do this. You must walk this way because Jesus walked this way. I would call it to be like Christ. Let's just say the writings of Paul and the book of Hebrews are not their favorite books. They do have explanations for that, but they're not typically the ones that they will want to go to. The one, so this is 1 John 2, 6. The one who says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same manner as he walked. So are you going to walk as Jesus walked? Because he walked, he lived his life under the Torah. So you're going to walk as he did? You're going to live your life under the Torah? Or are you going to do what others tell you? The others would be, you know, the Christian leaders, the Christian tradition, the church. This is quoting from another video on, on 119 Ministries. This is a quote. Refusing to walk as Jesus walked, which in their mind is obeying the Mosaic law, is denying the faith. So they will not come out and say, you're going to hell, this is required for salvation. But on the flip side, it's denying the faith if you don't walk as Jesus walked, because that's the faith. This is from their video. Mainstream Christianity creates the contradictions in Paul's writings. Hebrew roots doctrine reconciles and solves them. So they have a lot of videos. The Pauline paradox is a term that 119 Ministries uses. It's a paradox. They're saying, look, it seems like Paul's really saying we're not under the Mosaic law. But actually, he's in conjunction with it. So everything's fine. Christians today teach that things in the word of God are no longer true. Okay, so let's answer a few of these real quick. To walk as Jesus walked. Is that, does First John 2, 6 say that we're to obey the Mosaic commandment? No, that's not, that's not the point. The point is, what, how did Jesus walk? If you read the context of First John, it tells us, right? And this is, this is 1 John 1, 5. And this is the message we had heard from him and declared to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the context of walk in 1 John is living a holy life to God. It's, it's growing in sanctification. It's 
obeying the commands of Christ. It's living out Christ-likeness. There's nothing about the Mosaic law in 1 John. It's not there. It's just about living the holy life. And so the next question that we ask as Christians is, how do we know what living the holy life is like? We go to Jesus' teaching. We go to the apostles' teaching. And we read about what we're supposed to do to live a holy life. Can we look at examples in the Old Testament? Yes. But we ought not to jump back to the Mosaic law and say, that's our foundation. That's where we start. Judaizers. Some. I mean, again, if you just go dump all this stuff on your Hebrew roots, friend, they're probably going to say, I don't know. I don't believe that. Right? But a lot of Roman Catholics say the same thing. Right? I don't know what Roman... I don't know. I just grew up Catholic. Okay, well, now you know the truth. You're going to come over to the true faith. Well, some will say no. Roman Catholics will say no. I'm not ready for that. I'll still stay Roman Catholic. But now you know the truth. So, in general, I think this summarizes, because 119 is such a, uh, ministry is such a broad ministry for them. This kind of summarizes their thinking. Let's look at this last point. Christians today teach that things in the Word of God are no longer true. We've already looked at that, right? They're true. But because something's true doesn't mean that we're obligated to do what it says. Right? If God tells us we're to do what it says, then we're to do what it says. But the book of Hebrews says the old covenant has become what? Obsolete. The old priesthood? Obsolete. We have a new priesthood. Each covenant has a law. There's a new covenant coming. Right? I think they're taking the Mosaic law, the Torah, the first five books. And that overrides everything. Some people read the Bible backwards and we're supposed to read it forward. But what they do is they read it forward carrying the Mosaic law all the way through. So whatever happens later must not contradict or go against or do away with the Mosaic law. They wouldn't say they were denying that redemption. They would just say the Mosaic law has a big role in that. More than the tutor that drives us to Christ. Right? It's, it's the looming thing that's always there even when Christ is on the cross, even with the apostles, now with the Gentiles. So none of these, by the way, are Jews. They're Gentiles wanting to go back and live according to the Mosaic covenant law. So even Jews today celebrate these feasts in some sense, but it's not the, you can't really do the Day of Atonement because it requires a temple and it requires a priesthood. And there's nothing today like that. I don't think they do animal sacrifices, but there are some, like the Samaritans today still do their animal sacrifice on Mount Gerizim and all kinds of pagan cultures sacrifice animals, even in San Antonio. No, Hebrew roots, I've never known any to say that we should sacrifice animals. They celebrate it like the Jews today do, more of a remembrance kind of thing, remembering the Day of Atonement, what it stands for. Okay, so here's the basic defense right here. Jesus is the word. It could sound a little different, but it's this. Jesus is the word. The word is the Bible. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you must follow the word, which is the whole Bible. So the whole Bible is to be followed. And the Mosaic law must, I would say, overrule the New Testament. They would say, no, it's all the way through. So whatever Jesus said, it was always pointing back and saying we should obey the Torah, including what Paul said. The book of Hebrews is not a fun book for them. I'm sure they have videos on it. I didn't didn't get that far and my research, but you're welcome to check out 119 Ministries. I want you to see some of their wording here, because if you have friends, you may think I'm just misinterpreting what they say. So this is an expose kind of documentary. This guy in the red shirt, I think, came out. Maybe both these guys. The guy in the red shirt comes out of it. Now he's part of a King James only group. We don't have time to show the whole video, but I wouldn't show it anyway, because there's a couple of guys in here that are infamous guys for the King James only movement, and kind of crazy guys. 
So there's just a few. Again, it's, it's a various movement, different groups, not monolithic. But that is what a lot of them will teach. Because if you have to obey the law, right, that's a, that's a transition along the way. And they're saying, look, you can't say that you're saved. All we can say is that we will be saved if we trust in Jesus and obey the Torah. This is the documentary, The Truth 2.0, Reformation 2.0. Okay, You see where they're going? Reformation 2.0. Now, the first half of the video is actually quoting pretty good teachers. I don't know all of them, but MacArthur, Sproul, about the law. And their goal here is to say, look how complex the Christians have done, what they've done with the law and how they try to get out of obeying the law. And then they interview lots of Hebrew Roots followers who just ask a lot of questions. So this one's about three minutes. All right, so a lot there. I just want to make a comment on a couple things. We've got to go on here. So a couple of statements that weren't even true from that video. Peter never ate unclean foods. So they would say, well, where's the verse that says that? But what's the whole thing with the sheet, right? The whole point is God saying, okay, you can stay and eat with Gentiles. Right? And, and Galatians, Paul, right, rebukes him. Suddenly you won't eat with the Gentile Christians when the Jew, Judaizers show up. Another place it says that Paul, a guy said, Paul said we must celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What verse? I don't know. You can find it later. We got to move on. A few more. We don't have time to go through this, but Romans 6.14 I preached on. We're under grace, not under the law. Romans 7.4, we're dead to the law. Colossians 2.16 and 17 says, look, it's legalism. If people say you have to observe all these holy days like Sabbaths and new moons and so on. Titus 3, 9 through, 11, 9 through 11 and 1 Timothy 1 and 1 Timothy 6 are about staying away from people who are factious and they argue over words and they claim to be teachers of the law, but they actually don't know what they're talking about. I mean, Paul in 1 Timothy 1, he just says, look, these people say they teach the law. They don't know the law. They don't even know what they're saying. And so we have to watch out for that. Here's a, a, a series, J.R.L. Solberg does quite a few videos. I can't speak to what his beliefs are, but as far as what he says in some of these videos, it sounds very solid. The theological concept at the foundation of Torahism, that's Hebrew roots, undermines both the gospel of Jesus and the sufficiency of his work in making us right with God. For one thing, by trying to point Christians towards Moses, these teachings, teachings can take a focus off of Jesus. By emphasizing a works-based lifestyle, Hebrew roots teachings, the emphasize the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness that is ours through Jesus. The danger of Torahism is even bigger than what it does to our focus. So he goes on with these videos to describe the three biggest dangers. This is a huge one because even if they say, look, you don't have to obey the Torah to be saved. The focus is so much on Moses and the Torah that you lose the focus that we're supposed to have on Christ. And that can have consequences. So is it a cult? According to Nathan Boosen, it's a cult has a wrong view of salvation, a wrong view of scripture, and a wrong view of the Savior. I'll leave it to you to decide. Galatians 2, we'll finish with this. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this was because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our freedom, which we have in Christ. We have freedom in Christ in order to enslave us. So I'm a couple of minutes over. Let's pray for these who are in these groups. Frank will continue with six more starting next Sunday. So don't miss out. And let's conclude this morning with prayer. Lord, we do pray for those who might just be Christians, but thinking the wrong thoughts on some of these things out there. Help us to show them to be 
experts as well as we can in the scriptures to know them solidly. Help us also, Lord, for those who are lost and are not looking to Jesus as the only way, the truth, and the life. Those who've added works to their salvation. Those who've added works to their justification. Help us, O Lord, to bring the gospel to them, to show them the real truth of Christ, what he's done for us, and what your grace means, that it's not according to works. Help us always to speak the truth in love, to be gentle, to be loving, to care for those that we know who are caught up in some of these teachings. We pray that you would bless us in your holy name. Amen.